Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today we present a Hans Christian Andersen story called The Thorny Road of Honor. It was published in 1874, and it's a very moving essay about how misunderstood some of the bold innovators throughout history have been. Their accomplishments realized only after traveling a truly thorny road. And now, The Thorny Road of Honor by Hans Christian Andersen. An old story yet lives of the thorny road of honor, of a marksman who indeed attained to rank and office, but only after a lifelong and weary strife against difficulties. Who has not, in reading this story, thought of his own strife and of his own numerous difficulties? The story is very closely akin to reality, but still it has harmonious explanation here on earth, while reality often points beyond the confines of life to the regions of eternity. The history of the world is like a magic lantern that displays to us, in light pictures upon the dark ground of the present, how the benefactors of mankind, the martyrs of genius, wandered along the thorny road of honor. From all periods, and from every country, these shining pictures display themselves to us. Each only appears for a few moments, but each represents a whole life, sometimes a whole age, with its conflicts and victories. Let us contemplate here and there one of the company of martyrs, the company which will receive new members until the world itself shall pass away. We look down upon a crowded amphitheater. Out of the clouds of Aristophanes, satire and humor are pouring down in streams upon the audience. On the stage, Socrates, the most remarkable man in Athens, he who has been the shield and defense of the people against the thirty tyrants, is held up mentally and bodily to ridicule. Socrates, who saved Alcibiades and Xenophon in the turmoil of battle, and whose genius soared far above the gods of the ancients, he has risen from the spectator's bench and has stepped forward that the laughing Athenians may well appreciate the likeness between himself and the caricature on the stage. There he stands before them, towering high above all. Thou juicy, green, poisonous hemlock, throw thy shadow over Athens. Not thou, olive tree of fame. Seven cities contended for the honor of giving birth to Homer. That is to say, they contended after his death. Let us look at him as he was in his lifetime. He wanders on foot through the cities and recites his verses for a livelihood. The thought for the morrow turns his hair gray. He, the great seer, is blind, and painfully pursues his way. The sharp thorn tears the mantle of the king of poets. His song yet lives, and through that alone live all the heroes and gods of antiquity. One picture after another springs up from the east, from the west, far removed from each other in time and place, and yet each one forming a portion of the thorny road of honor, on which the thistle indeed displays a flower, but only to adorn the grave. The camels pass along under the palm trees. They are richly laden with indigo and other treasures of value, sent by the ruler of the land to him whose songs are the delight of the people, the fame of the country. He whom envy and falsehood have driven into exile has been found, and the caravan approaches the little town in which he has taken refuge. A poor corpse is carried out of the town gate, and the funeral procession causes the caravan to halt. The dead man is he whom they have been sent to seek, Verduzzi, who has wandered the thorny road of honor even to the end.
The African, with blunt features, thick lips, and woolly hair, sits on the marble steps of the palace in the capital of Portugal, and begs. He is the submissive slave of Camens, and but for him, and for the copper coins thrown to him by the passers-by, his master, the poet of the Lusiad, would die of hunger. Now a costly monument marks the grave of Camens. There is a new picture. Behind the iron grating a man appears, pale as death, with long, unkempt beard. I have made a discovery, he says, the greatest that has been made for centuries, and they have kept me locked up here for more than twenty years. Who is the man? A madman, replies the keeper of the madhouse. What whimsical ideas these lunatics have! He imagines that one can propel things by means of steam. It is Solomon de Caris, the discoverer of the power of steam, whose theory, expressed in dark words, is not understood by Richelieu, and he dies in the madhouse. Here stands Columbus, whom the street boys used once to follow and jeer, because he wanted to discover a new world, and he has discovered it. Shouts of joy greet him from the breasts of all, and the clash of bells sounds to celebrate his triumphant return. But the clash of the bells of envy soon drowns out the others. The discoverer of a world, he who lifted the American gold land from the sea and gave it to his king. He is rewarded with iron chains. He wishes that these chains may be placed in his coffin, for they witness to the world of the way in which a man's contemporaries reward good service. One picture after another comes crowding on, the thorny path of honor, and of fame, is overfilled. Here in dark night sits the man who measured the mountains in the moon, he who forced his way out into the endless space among stars and planets, he, the mighty man who understood the spirit of nature and felt the earth moving beneath his feet, Galileo. Blind and deaf he sits, an old man thrust through with the spear of suffering, and amid the torments of neglect, scarcely able to lift his foot, that foot with which, in the anguish of his soul, when men denied the truth, he stamped upon the ground with the exclamation, Yet it moves! Here stands a woman of childlike mind, yet full of faith and inspiration. She carries the banner in front of the combating army and brings victory and salvation to her fatherland. The sound of shouting arises, and the woodpile sparks to flame. They are burning the witch, Joan of Arc. Yes, and a future century jeers at the white lily, Voltaire, the satyr of human intellect, who writes, La Pucelle. At the thing or assembly at Viborg, the Danish nobles burn the laws of the king. They flame up high, illuminating the period and the lawgiver, and throw a glory into the dark prison tower, where an old man is growing gray and bent. With his finger he marks out a groove in the stone table. It is the popular king who sits there, once the ruler of three kingdoms, the friend of the citizen and the peasant. It is Christian II. Enemies wrote his history. Let us remember his improvements of seven and twenty years, if we cannot forget his crime. A ship sails away, quitting the Danish shores. A man leans against the mast, casting a last glance toward the island Huyn. It's Tycho Brahe. He raised the name of Denmark to the stars, and was rewarded with injury, loss, and sorrow. He is going to a strange country. The vault of heaven is above me everywhere, he says, 
and what do I want more? And away sails the famous Dane, the astronomer, to live honored and free in a strange land. Aye, free, if only from the unbearable sufferings of the body, comes in a sigh through time, and strikes upon our ear. What a picture! Griffinbelt, a Danish Prometheus, bound to the rocky island of Moncombe. We are now in America, on the margin of one of the largest rivers. An innumerable crowd is gathered, for it is said that a ship is to sail against the wind and weather, bidding defiance to the elements. The man who thinks he can solve the problem is named Robert Fulton. The ship begins its passage, but suddenly it stops. The crowd begins to laugh and whistle and hiss. The very father of the man whistles with the rest. Conceit! Foolery! is the cry. It has happened just as he deserved. Put the crack brain under lock and key. Then suddenly a little nail breaks, which had stopped the machine for a few moments, and now the wheels turn again. The floats break the force of the waters, and the ship continues its course, and the beam of the steam engine shortens the distance between far lands from hours into minutes. Oh, human race! Canst thou grasp the happiness of such a minute of consciousness? This penetration of the soul by its mission, the moment in which all dejection and every wound, even those caused by one's own fault, is changed into health and strength and clearness, when discord is converted to harmony, the minute in which men seem to recognize the manifestation of the heavenly grace in one man and feel how this one imparts it to all. Thus the thorny path of honor shows itself as a glory surrounding the earth with its beams. Thrice happy he who is chosen to be a wanderer there, and without merit of his own, to be placed between the builder of the bridge and the earth, between providence and the human race. On mighty wings the spirit of history floats through the ages, and shows, giving courage and comfort, and awakening gentle thoughts, on the dark nightly background, but in gleaming pictures, the thorny path of honor, which does not, like a fairy tale, end in brilliancy and joy here on earth, but stretches out beyond all time, even into eternity. We'll return to our show right after this message from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, back to our story. Our second story is Elder Tree Mother by Hans Christian Andersen. There was once a little boy who had taken cold by going out and getting his feet wet. No one could think how he had managed to do so, for the weather was quite dry. His mother undressed him and put him to bed, and then she brought in the teapot to make him a good cup of elder tea, which is so warming. At the same time, the friendly old man who lived all alone at the top of the house came in at the door. He had neither wife nor child, but he was very fond of children and knew so many fairy tales and stories that it was a pleasure to hear him talk. Now, if you drink your tea, said the mother, very likely you will have a story in the meantime. But how did the little fellow get his feet wet? asked he. 
"'Yes, if I could think of a new one to tell,' said the old man. "'But how did the little fellow get his feet wet?' asked he. "'Ah,' said the mother, "'that is what we cannot make out.' "'Will you tell me a story?' asked the boy. "'Yes, if you can tell me exactly how deep the gutter is "'in the little street through which you go to school.' "'Just halfway up to my knee,' said the boy promptly. "'That is, if I stand in the deepest part.' "'Well, now, it's easy to see how we got our feet wet,' said the old man. "'Well, now I suppose I ought to tell a story, but really I don't know any more.' "'You can make one up, I know,' said the boy. "'Mother says that you can turn everything you look at into a story, and everything, even, that you touch.' "'Ah, but those tales and stories are worth nothing. The real ones come of themselves. They knock at my forehead and say—' "'Here we are.' "'Won't there be a knock soon?' asked the boy. And his mother laughed as she put elderflowers in the teapot and poured boiling water over them. "'Oh, do tell me a story.' "'Yes, if a story comes of itself. But tales and stories are very grand. They only come when it pleases them.' "'Stop!' he cried all at once. "'Here, I have it. Look, there's a story in the teapot right now.' The little boy looked at the teapot and saw the lid raise itself gradually and long branches stretch out, even from the spout, in all directions till they became larger and larger, and there appeared a great elder tree covered with flowers, white and fresh. It spread itself even to the bed and pushed the curtains aside, and oh, how fragrant the blossoms were! In the midst of the tree sat a pleasant-looking old woman in a very strange dress. The dress was green, "'like the leaves of the elder tree, "'and was decorated with large white elder blossoms. "'It was not easy to tell "'whether the border was made of some kind of stuff "'or of real flowers. "'What is that woman's name?' asked the boy. "'The Romans and Greeks called her a dryad,' said the old man. "'But we do not understand that name. "'We have a better one for her in the quarter of the town "'where the sailors live. "'They call her Elder Flower Mother, "'and you must pay attention to her now.' "'and listen while you look at the beautiful tree. "'Just such a large blooming tree as this "'stands outside in the corner of a poor little yard, "'and under this tree, one bright sunny afternoon, "'sat two old people, a sailor and his wife. "'They had great-grandchildren "'and would soon celebrate the golden wedding, "'which is the fiftieth anniversary of the wedding day in many countries, "'and the elder mother sat in the tree "'and looked as pleased as she does now.' "'I know when the golden wedding is to be,' said she. "'But they did not hear her. "'They were talking of olden times. "'Do you remember?' said the old sailor. "'When we were quite little and used to run about and play "'in the very same yard where we are now sitting, "'and how we planted little twigs in one corner and made a garden.' "'Yes,' said the old woman. "'I remember it quite well. "'And how we watered the twigs.' "'and one of them was a sprig of elder that took root "'and put forth green shoots, "'until in time it became the great tree "'under which we old people are now seated. "'To be sure,' he replied. "'And in that corner yonder stands the water butt "'in which I used to swim my boat "'that I had cut out all myself, "'and it sailed well, too. "'But since then I have learned "'a very different kind of sailing. "'Yes, but before that we went to school,' said she, "'and then we were prepared for confirmation.' "'how we both cried on that day. 
"'But in the afternoon we went hand in hand up the round tower "'and saw the view over Copenhagen and across the water. "'And then we went to Fredericksburg, "'where the king and queen were sailing in their beautiful boat on the canals. "'But I had to sail on a very different voyage elsewhere "'and be away from home for years on long voyages,' said the old sailor. "'Ah, yes, and I used to cry about you,' said she. "'for I thought you must be lying drowned at the bottom of the sea, "'with the waves sweeping over you. "'And many a time have I got up in the night "'to see if the weathercock had turned. "'It turned often enough, but you came not. "'How well I remember one day the rain was pouring down from the skies, "'and the man came to the house where I was in service to take away the dust. "'I went down to him with the dust box "'and stood for a moment at the door. "'What shocking weather it was!' "'and while I stood there the postman came up "'and brought me a letter from you. "'How that letter had traveled about. "'I tore it open and read it. "'I laughed and wept at the same time. "'I was so happy. "'It said that you were in warm countries "'where the coffee berries grew, "'and what a beautiful country it was, "'and described many other wonderful things. "'And so I stood reading by the dustbin, "'with the rain pouring down, "'when all at once somebody came "'and clasped me around the waist. "'Yes, and you gave him such a box on the ears that they tingled,' said the old man. "'I did not know that was you,' she replied. "'But you had arrived as quickly as your letter, and you looked so handsome, and indeed, so you are still. "'You had a large yellow silk handkerchief in your pocket and a shiny hat on your head. "'You looked quite fine, and all the time what weather it was, and how dismal the street looked. "'And then do you remember?' "'said he, when we were married, "'and our first boy came, "'and then Marie, and Niels, and Peter, "'and Hans Christian.' "'Indeed I do,' she replied, "'and they are all grown-up respectable men and women, "'whom everyone likes. "'And now their children have little ones,' "'said the old sailor. "'There are great-grandchildren for us, "'strong and healthy, too. "'Was it not about this time of year "'that we were married?' "'Yes, and today is the golden wedding day,' said Elder Tree Mother, "'popping her head out just between the two old people, "'and they thought it was a neighbor nodding to them. "'Then they looked at each other and clasped their hands together. "'Presently came their children and grandchildren, "'who knew very well that it was the golden wedding day. "'They had already wished them joy on that very morning, "'but the old people had forgotten it, "'although they remembered so well all that had happened many years before.' and the elder tree smelled sweet, and the setting sun shone upon the faces of the old people till they looked quite ruddy. And the youngest of their grandchildren danced round them joyfully, and said they were going to have a feast in the evening, and there were to be hot potatoes. Then the elder mother nodded in the tree and cried, Hurrah! with all the rest. But that is not a story, said the little boy who had been listening. Not till you understand it, said the old man. "'but let us ask the elder mother to explain it.' "'It was not exactly a story,' said the elder mother, "'but the story is coming now, and it is a true one. "'For out of truth the most wonderful stories grow, "'just as my beautiful elder bush has sprung out of the teapot.' "'And then she took the little boy out of bed "'and laid him on her bosom, "'and the blooming branches of elder closed over them "'so that they sat, as it were, in a leafy bower.' and the bower flew with them through the air in the most delightful manner. Then the elder mother all at once changed to a beautiful young maiden, 
but her dress was still of the same green stuff, ornamented with a border of white elder blossoms, such as the elder mother had worn. In her bosom she wore a real elder flower, and a wreath of the same was entwined in her golden ringlets. Her large blue eyes were very beautiful to look at. She was of the same age as the boy, and they kissed each other and felt very happy. They left the arbor together, hand in hand, and found themselves in a beautiful flower garden which belonged to their home. On the green lawn their father's stick was tied up. There was life in this stick for the little ones, for no sooner did they place themselves upon it than the white knob changed into a pretty neighing head with a black flowing mane, and four long slender legs sprung forth. The creature was strong and spirited, and galloped with them round the grass plot. "'Hurrah! Now we will ride many miles away,' said the boy. "'We'll ride to the nobleman's estate, where we went last year.' Then they rode round the grass plot again, and the little maiden, who we know was Elder Tree Mother, kept crying out, "'Now we are in the country. Do you see the farmhouse, with a great baking oven standing out from the wall by the roadside like a gigantic egg?' "'There is an elder spreading his branches over it, "'and a cock is marching about and scratching for the chickens. "'See how he struts. "'Now we are near the church. "'There it stands on the hill, "'shaded by the great oak trees, "'one of which is half dead. "'See, here we are at the blacksmith's forge. "'How the fire burns! "'And the half-clad men are striking the hot iron with the hammer, "'so that the sparks fly about. "'Now then, "'away to the nobleman's beautiful estate.' "'And the boy saw all that the little girl spoke of "'as she sat behind him on the stick, "'for it passed before him, "'although they were only galloping round the grass plot. "'Then they played together in a sidewalk "'and raked up the earth to make a little garden. "'Then she took elder flowers out of her hair "'and planted them, "'and they grew just like those "'which she had heard the old people talking about "'and which they had planted in their young days.' They walked about hand in hand, too, just as the old people had done when they were children. But they did not go up to the round tower, nor to the Fredericksburg garden. No, but the little girl seized the boy around the waist, and they rode all over the whole country. Sometimes it was spring, and then summer, then autumn and winter followed, while thousands of images were presented to the boy's eyes and heart, and the little girl constantly sang to him, "'You must never forget all this.' and through their whole flight the elder tree sent forth the sweetest fragrance. They passed roses and fresh beech trees, but the perfume of the elder tree was stronger than all, for his flowers hung round the little maiden's heart, against which the boy so often leaned his head during their flight. "'It is beautiful here in the spring,' said the maiden, as they stood in a grove of beech trees covered with fresh green leaves, while at their feet the sweet-scented thyme and blushing anemone "'lay spread amid the green grass in delicate bloom. "'Oh, there were always spring in the fragrant beech groves. "'Here it is delightful in summer,' said the maiden, "'as they passed old knights' castles telling of days gone by, "'and saw the high walls and pointed gables mirrored in the rivers beneath, "'where swans were sailing about and peeping into the cool green avenues. "'In the fields the corn waved to and fro like the sea. "'Red and yellow flowers grew amongst the ruins,' and the hedges were covered with wild hops and blooming convolvulus. In the evening the moon rose round and full, and the haystacks in the meadows filled the air with their sweet scent. These were scenes never to be forgotten. 
"'It is lovely here also in autumn,' said the little maiden, and then the scene changed again. The sky appeared higher and more beautifully blue, while the forest glowed with colors of red, green, and gold. The hounds were off to the chase, and large flocks of wild birds flew screaming over the Huns' graves, where the blackberry bushes twined round the old ruins. The dark blue sea was dotted with white sails, and in the barn sat old women, maidens, and children, picking hops into a large tub. The young ones sang songs, and the old ones told fairy tales of wizards and witches. There could be nothing more pleasant than all this. Again, said the maiden, it is beautiful here in winter. And then in a moment all the trees were covered with hoar-frost, so that they looked like white coral. The snow crackled beneath the feet as if everyone had on new boots, and one shooting star after another fell from the sky. In warm rooms there could be seen the Christmas trees, decked out with presents and lighted up amid festivities and joy. In the country farmhouses could be heard the sound of a violin, and there were games for apples, so that even the poorest child could say, It is beautiful in winter. And beautiful indeed were all the scenes which the maiden showed to the little boy, and always around them floated the fragrance of the elder blossom, and ever above them waved the red flag with the white cross, under which the old seamen had sailed. The boy, who had become a youth, and who had gone as a sailor out into the wide world, and sailed to the warm countries where the coffee grew, and to whom the little girl had given an elder blossom from her bosom for a keepsake, when she took leave of him, placed a flower in his hymn-book. And when he opened it in foreign lands, he always turned to the spot where this flower of remembrance lay, and the more he looked at it, the fresher it appeared. He could, as it were, breathe the home-like fragrance of the woods, and see the little girl looking at him from between the petals of the flower with her clear blue eyes, and hear her whispering, it is beautiful here at home, in spring and summer, in autumn and in winter. Well, hundreds of these home scenes passed through his memory. Many years had passed, and he was now an old man, seated with his old wife under an elder tree in full blossom. They were holding each other's hands, just as the great-grandfather and grandmother had done, and spoke, as they did, of olden times and of the golden wedding. The little maiden with the blue eyes and with the elder blossoms in her hair sat in the tree and nodded to them and said, "'Today is the golden wedding.' As she placed them on the heads of the old people, each flower became a golden crown, and then she took two flowers out of her wreath and kissed them, and they shone first like silver and then like gold, and as she placed them on the heads of the old people, each flower became a golden crown. And there they sat like a king and a queen under the sweet-scented tree, which still looked like an elder bush. Then he related to his old wife the story of the elder tree mother, just as he had heard it told when he was a little boy, and they both fancied it very much like their own story, especially in parts which they liked the best. "'Well, and so it is,' said the little maiden in the tree. "'Some call me Elder Mother, others a dryad, but my real name is Memory.' It is I who sit in the tree as it grows and grows, and I can think of the past and relate many things. Let me see if you still have preserved the flower. Then the old man opened his hymn-book, and there lay the elder flower, as fresh as if it had been just placed there. And memory nodded, and the two old people with the golden crowns on their heads 
sat in the red glow of the evening sunlight and closed their eyes. And, and, the story was ended. The little boy lay in his bed and did not quite know whether he had been dreaming or listening to a story. The teapot stood on the table, but no elder bush grew out of it, and the old man who had really told the tale was on the threshold and just going out at the door. "'How beautiful it was!' said the little boy. "'Mother, I've been to warm countries.' "'I can quite believe it,' said his mother. "'When anyone drinks two full cups of elderflower tea, "'he may well get into warm countries.' "'And then she covered him up that he should not take cold. "'You have slept well while I've been disputing with the old man "'as to whether it was a real story or a fairy legend.' "'And where is the elder tree mother?' asked the boy. "'She is in the teapot,' said the mother, "'and there she may stay.'" Thanks for joining us for these two stories, The Thorny Road of Honor and The Elder Dream Mother by Hans Christian Andersen. Hope you enjoyed these stories as much as I did. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern with a brand new story. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.